for the military, something that's always very important to me. People wanted to ask me how my, my child wants to be a catcher. What do I tell them? I said, catch every ball. And in life, isn't that the way it is? I spent two years in the service, and I was proud to be part of it. I wore that uniform with a pride and dignity, just like I wore the Dodger uniform with great character and love. The greatest name in the history of the Cleveland Indians franchise, Mr. Bob Feller. Welcome to the American Valor Podcast. This is a conversation Tyler Buckholtz and Colin Kirk had with Mr. Luke Gillingham in April. Mr. Gillingham is a graduate of the United States Naval Academy, a former surface warfare officer on the USS Stockdale, and a draft pick and minor league baseball player in the Toronto Blue Jays organization. Gillingham speaks about his experiences at the Naval Academy and playing baseball, as well as his perspective on the viability of professional sports such as baseball during the health pandemic. Luke, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. If you would, tell us a little bit about your story. Uh, well, uh, mainly from San Diego. I kind of moved around a lot. My dad is still active duty. Um, he's a Navy doc. Um, yeah, so I mostly grew up in San Diego, um, around Coronado. been around the Navy my entire life. Um, was looking to play baseball in college for a little bit, and then the Naval Academy started recruiting me and uh, it kind of worked out to be a perfect fit. Um, I really, really enjoyed my four years there. It was obviously challenging, but I fell into good routines and thought I got the most out of it. Um, was all set to be a pilot coming out of the academy. Never really thought anything past baseball there. Um, and then had some medical stuff pop up that disqualified me from pilots, so I ended up selecting nuclear surface warfare. And then right after the, my senior season, after I graduated commission, the Toronto Blue Jays reached out. I was actually at a friend's wedding um, and said they picked me in the 37th round. So they waited till the, the very last round to pull the trigger. And um, from there, the Navy actually called myself, Keenan Reynolds and Chris Swain. They're two uh, football players at the academy and kind of sat us down and told us we had a couple options. Um, if we wanted to keep playing and join the reserves right away, if we wanted to go out and uh, do our first tour, do a couple of years, and then try to see where that takes us. So, uh, you know, I went to the academy um, to serve. I didn't really envision ever playing professionally. And uh, look at the draw, it kind of just happened throughout the, the last couple of years there. So uh, I chose to at least do my first first tour on the Stockdale, and it turned out to be a a true blessing in disguise. I mean, I, I loved it out here in San Diego. Um, I love leading. I love being on the ship. Uh, it taught me a lot of good lessons. And then after about three years on board, um, a little less than three years, I decided that I wanted to give baseball another shot. So I uh, put in a package uh, to join the reserves, got accepted. And luckily the Blue Jays were still holding on to my rights. So last year around this time, I reported to spring training again and took it day by day obviously I'm sure as Mitch Harris will tell you it's a lot different going after 
uh, not playing for a few years, but I was able to kind of get get my groove again and had a pretty good year up in Vancouver and then this year reported back uh, for spring training. And then obviously during this, um, you know, COVID-19 crisis, everything kind of got flipped on its head, but I'm just kind of waiting on word, trying to stay healthy and see where that, uh, see where this year will take me. How did you stay in shape? How did you stay in baseball shape while you were away for three years? I honestly, um, after my four years and then playing, I've actually played a little bit. I used my basket leave right up after the graduation to uh, play for 30 days. And after that, uh, my arm was pretty smoked. I had some arm troubles at the end of my junior year going into spring season. So I was kind of fighting that all year, my senior year. So I just decided to take a couple of years and not even touch a baseball. So I just I kept my body in shape. And honestly, like a lot of baseball players will tell you, it's it's good to kind of take a mental break as well to, from the game. So it, it helped me a lot to just kind of step away mentally and physically. And then I was able to go to the Blue Jays or in all baseball have camps called a construction league. So they invited me to an instructional league camp, which is right after the season. It's kind of just to get all the first year guys' feet wet again before their first spring training. I was able to kind of ramp up for that. Uh, my little brother is here in town as well, so my family's here. I live here with my fiance, and I was able to, I was able to uh, stay in shape with him. And yeah, he brought out the catcher's gear and suited up, and I, I built a mound in our backyard, and kind of just went from there. So I'm pretty lucky with the situation I have, where I have a throwing partner whenever he's available. You mentioned early on your dad was in the Navy. One of the things you said that led you to the Naval Academy was how much pride your dad took in his time in the Navy. What is your dad's service? How did that impact you? And what does that mean to you? Well, yeah, my dad's the Surgeon General right now. So he's he's pretty busy. And I couldn't think of a better time to as like an example of what he he really is and how it's impacted me is he's just a very humble, very uh proud man what he goes about and does on a daily basis is pretty extraordinary um, and just growing up I would see just the pride he took in what he did every day and you know how much it meant to him and growing up there's really no other option for for me I just I wanted to feel what he felt every day when he came home I wanted to oh I wanted to lead I wanted to just take the pride in the work that he did every day it was funny on my uh, recruiting trip I think the pitching coach at the time noticed that, that uh, my dad was very into the academy and I was kind of just feeling it out. So he ended up just kind of giving my dad the whole pitch and on the tour, just talked to my dad the whole time. He knew that if my, my dad was bought in and then I obviously was bought in, but he knew that if my dad was a hundred percent that I'd probably end up going there. So you mentioned, you know, how your dad took pride in his work and he was very humble. I watched a, a YouTube video about some of your teammates and Coach Costi talking about you and they, they mentioned a lot of those things. We actually had Coach Costi on the podcast earlier. What was it like playing for him? Playing for Costi. It's very intense. You know, at that level, you're past the baseball phase of where, you know, everybody gets a chance. Everybody, it's all about fair play. Like you're there to win. You're there to compete. And Honestly, as freshmen, it's kind of a shock in the face. Like everybody gets there and whether your high school coach was intense, whether you've had intense coaches in the past, you nothing really will prepare you for Kosky freshman year. Um, I'm sure everybody else will tell you that. 
Uh, he cares deeply about his players, but on the field, it's sometimes it has an interesting way of manifesting itself. He's just 100% all the time. And if you're not bought into that process, you're going to have a hard time there. But if you care about winning, care about, care about competing, you know, you got to have tough skin. He, he has a funny way of showing you how he, he cares about the team. And he's, he's there to win. And if you're not there to win, then it's, it's going to be an a interesting ride for sure. Earlier on, you mentioned Mitch Harris. Did he reach out to you and give you any advice about the process? Uh, I actually, I think it was like right after graduation, he was in Annapolis and we had a chance to catch up on the yard and just talk about his process throughout and my process and what everything would be like. And his world was a little different. Um, You know, he went for the full five years and he obviously – uh, we're different kinds of pitchers and different kinds of in that regard. So he, he uh, we reached out, we met up. To be honest, my biggest asset, I think, would be Chris Rowley. He was a West Point pitcher that actually played for the Blue Jays a few years before I did. So I reached out to him just in regards to spring training and what, uh, what to expect just because specifically he was with the Toronto system. So he was a pretty big asset too. Yeah, Mitch Harris is a, a fun guy. Uh, our conversation with him was a lot of fun. He's trying to get a, a book and movie going, so we're trying to work our way in as extras. I'll probably be some yeah. guy that he uh, strikes out three or four times. <laughs> but I'm glad you brought up West Point. Everyone knows about the Army-Navy rivalry, and I think really only football gets that recognition. From a, a baseball perspective, is there truly a different experience when you go against the Army? Oh, Absolutely. Army and Air Force for baseball is pretty it's pretty intense weekend, but Army just just feels different from from the get go. I think what separates it from football is that you have to play them four different times. So, you know, everybody's all hyped up for the very first game and there's a lot of fans there for that one and maybe televised, maybe not, but it's it gets pretty intense and then you know, you got a little 30-minute break and then round two, and then you come out the next day and round three, and then 30-minute break, round four. So by the end of it, it's kind of survival of the fittest. But, yeah, there's definitely a different feeling in there when Army's on field. What about now moving into the minor leagues? Was there a different feel for you when you were pitching? Is there, a, you know, a big difference in competition or preparation or anything like that that you've noticed so far? I've only really pitched in like the single A affiliates, so I think at that level, um, the difference is you know if you make a mistake anywhere near the plate, it's going to get sent 400 feet by either some 18-year-old from the Dominican Republic or like one of the best college players in the nation the year before. But to me, I mean, once you're out there competing, you're out there competing. I don't, I didn't really, I was kind of surprised. You know, everybody talks about. Uh, what conference they're in or where they played before, how it being the best. Or, uh, I played in the best conference. Like, oh, you're only in the Patriot League. And I honestly didn't – the the curve wasn't as steep as I thought it would be. I, I thought the Patriot League prepared me pretty well. You know, there's some some better talent the last, like, few, five years than there has been in the past. And once you're out there competing, it all kind of – you know, look at who's in the box. You just kind of know who's in the box, and if you're if you're ready to throw it in on his hands, and he's not ready for it, then it's all it all kind of feels the same. 
in 2014, you made the Patriot League Academic Honor Roll. How did it feel to be recognized for your hard work in the classroom and not just your hard work on the field? I uh, felt pretty good. Um, the academy is a very intense place, very demanding. You know, it's one thing to play on a Division One team. It's another to – I was in mechanical engineering, so it's another to take those classes in four years, and then it's another to have all the military commitments. Um, so I did take pride in the schoolwork. I mean, I, I loved engineering. I mean, I, I can't lie. Was, there's a lot of hard classes, a lot of late nights. What I did successfully there, I think I got into a really good routine. So I would, I didn't have free time, but I didn't really notice it just because I was so busy going from one thing to the next, you know, with whether it be lunch workouts, homework, practice, you, you fall into a routine every day in and out. And then you just wake up and do it all again and a few weeks goes by and you kind of look back at all you got accomplished and yeah I think that helped me with baseball too is the routine week to week especially as a starter you know you you can fall back on it if you have good games you can look look forward to it if you have bad games so I I think I did better in that situation than I would have at any other place but yeah the academic honor roll was it was a surprise to kind of see it be recognized and see it happen, but I was pretty proud of that too. Yeah, I think this is the second or third time, you know, you've mentioned getting into a routine as one of the key takeaways from the Naval Academy and your time in the Navy as in general. Are there other things that have translated from your time at the Naval Academy and in the Navy outside of baseball that have helped you on the field? Whether I know it or not, it, I kind of took on a, a little bit of a leadership roles within the first couple teams I was on. And I mean, I was, there was a joke on my Vancouver team that I was kind of the old man or like the father to some of the other players. So I did kind of feel like a little bit of being like a division officer again, in some regards, just kind of looking after some of the guys. But I think just kind of recognizing that there's like stuff gets thrown at you on a daily basis that you can't be ready for. And in the minor league system, you know, you're not, you're not treated the best. So it's, there are things that get thrown at you and how do you react to those and how the Navy and the Naval Academy kind of prepared me to just take it and roll uh, really, I think has benefited me so far. Yeah. I read a, I think I read somewhere that you were, four years older than the average batter, three and a half years older than the average starter or something, something like that. I don't know if I really noticed a difference when I was on the field, but off the field, I just, we were just interested in different things. And it was, it was pretty funny. Your career ERA is a two, six, eight. You have 57 strikeouts over 43 innings. So I, I don't think anyone's going to look at you differently on the field. Yeah, there was a, uh... Everything evil evens out once you're on the in between the lines. So I, I think I've benefited from that just from, you know, whether they, they know why I'm there, they know my past. Still, they look at me as like an older guy and kind of questions why why is he here? Why is he doing this? And then once you step on the line, strike a couple of guys out, it just kind of sets a better tone for some relationships within the team. You briefly mentioned how with the whole coronavirus, COVID-19 going on right now, you're just kind of in a waiting period. How has this affected your training, getting ready for the season? You know, I was, I was feeling pretty good about the offseason ahead going into uh, spring training this year. 
uh, like I said, my brother's local, so I had a catcher. Um, I had a gym. Uh, so I was I was feeling good, and I was feeling good about the first three weeks of spring training. Um, however, I think I'm in a little better situation than most, just based on the fact that my throwing partner and catcher is here. I've already built a mound. I actually my at my parents' house. There's a garage gym going on, so I think I'm in a little better boat than some people that are kind of stuck coming up with stuff on their own right now. But obviously the priority is just keeping everybody safe and the Blue Jays have done a pretty good job reaching out, to letting us know that, that don't feel like you have to put yourself in any kind of bad situation just to try to stay in shape, just do what you can, and then we'll figure it out once this all ends. Yeah, have you heard anything about, you know, what this is going to look like for when it ends? I mean, obviously we don't really have any too much information, but, you know, from your perspective in the Blue Jays organization, uh, maybe from the MLB, what kind of insight are you seeing there revolving around this whole thing that, you know, the average person might not see just from watching the news? To be honest, we're kind of on the same boat as the average person watching the news. I mean, I just saw that a few days ago, that article about the suggested new season, and it's kind of wild to imagine, although they didn't mention anything about the minor leagues, so who knows what will happen. But, you know, the – they are reaching out every day. The Blue Jays are and letting us know if they have anything. I just, I just don't think there's anything updated that they can pass on to us. I think everybody's kind of on the, on the same page here where they're just waiting and see what's what every day brings. As a player reading that proposed new season format, would you be okay playing under those conditions or what were what, what your thoughts on that when you first read that? Well, first, I'd be okay with it if it meant I got called up to the the big league squad. But I, it is extremely different. Um, I think it's noble that they're trying to do whatever they can to save the season. I think it would be really weird to be in the stands six feet away from your teammates. That would just be a that would just be completely just bonkers to think about. Just people up in the stands or like the bullpen up in the the left field bleachers, but I think it's, it's good. I think there's a lot of little contingencies that have to be figured out, whether it be the locker room, whether it be travel to the field, whether it be like hotels, I think players get around each other a lot more than just on the field. I think on the field, it would be the safest they'd be. So uh, if contingencies like that get sorted out, I'm all for it. I'm all for getting the season in and seeing what everybody can do. But I think there's just a lot more that goes into it than what you see on the field that, to keep everybody safe, including, like, I mean, everybody playing would be younger and healthier, and then, but then you have to worry about coaches, umpires, anybody else, if, like locker room staff guys, everybody affiliated with the team that you'd be putting in danger doing that. But if everything gets sorted out that way, I think it would be good to go. I so, saw uh, Trevor Bauer said something about how it would be be weird not having fans or anything like that, but having baseball back, even getting it on TV would be good for society. He said that he's an entertainer, and if he can help entertain people and return some normalcy to our lives by having baseball, you know, that's that's something he'd be for. Yeah, he's uh, uh, enjoyed watching his little wiffle ball game that he did and just try to get any kind of entertainment out of it, but – yeah, that's it is interesting. Yeah. yeah, it is. It is interesting to see his. Uh, 
he always has something to say about anything um, that comes out in the news, whether it be the Astros or now this. So it is interesting to keep up on what other athletes have to say about everything. Yeah, he's all over the place. He has his media company. Uh, he does those games. He has his own podcast, I think. And he's so busy in, like, the technology world. Yeah, so. I, was, I think my favorite uh, Trevor Bauer story is when he just popped up in the stands of a uh, Indians game right after he got traded with a backpack on. I thought that was pretty funny. He made a, uh, like a, doc, a short documentary about it where he just he showed after he got traded and he was just walking around because he wanted to see what a game was like at the field. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, so I gotta see and that. somewhere on uh, his momentum, his media company has it somewhere. I worked in minor league baseball actually for five years on the grounds crew for the Washington Nationals single A team. And okay. I know they had promotions. One of the things they do is a lot of themed jerseys. One of them is okay. Day at the park and they have these retro jerseys that they sign and sell. Do you have any cool jerseys or promotions that Vancouver's had while you're there? You know, I was actually kind of disappointed because the year before they did like a throwback Vancouver jersey that kind of looked like a little Expos one, but we didn't have any promotional like jerseys. Um, they did a lot of good stuff at the park. It's a amazing experience there for a single A team. You know, they draw over like 6,000 people every night there. I think it's just a a hot ticket item in Vancouver. You know, baseball is not really huge around there. And for them to get that many people out every night is pretty extraordinary. My favorite thing we did have, though, was the bullpen cart. Was uh, The bullpen was in left field. And every time a relief pitcher came in, there was a little guy. There was a high school guy in the bullpen with us. And he would hop in the golf cart. You'd hop in right next to him. And they just drive. Oh, did, where did every player take it? Yeah, every every pitcher had to take it, and it, oh, was, that's, it had that's like awesome. it had a hat on top. It had like gloves as lights, and then the rumor was if you didn't want to take it, you had to you could jog out, but then the golf cart would be right next to you because they <laughs> they had a contract where they had to use it every time. And then we were in the bullpen in a very late exchanging game, and there's only about three of us in there at that point and then the bullpen guy and we got a walk-off hit and all of us piled into the golf cart and instead of running and charging <laughs> the mound we just drove right out of in the golf cart that's awesome yeah Colin and I've been to a couple of uh, professional Washington Nationals games and you know they they bring a car out from center field to the bullpens and no one takes it and we always just wondered <laughs> why and finally Sean Doolittle took it one day to go in and close that was probably the highlight of uh, that game, yeah. I'd say. It's, it's really weird to get all hyped up to go pitch and then just sit in a golf cart going like five miles an hour into the stadium. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, Luke, thanks for joining us. It's been a real blast talking to you. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, and uh, good luck with your season. Hopefully you guys get to play, and uh, maybe we'll talk to you at some point during it. Yeah, sounds good. Stay safe. You too. Thanks, for, thanks again for your time. Of course. For Tyler Buckholtz and Colin Kirk, thank you for listening to the American Valor Podcast. Please like, subscribe, leave a review, and share the podcast with others you think will enjoy. You can engage with the Bob Feller Active Valor Award Foundation online at activevalorward.org or on social media at Active Valor Awards on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. 
Please join us next time for a very special edition of the American Valor Podcast, remembering 9-11 with Mr. Brian Clark.